Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, a podcast about finding meaning in a secular age. Today I speak with Devin Singh. He is an associate professor of religion at Dartmouth, and he specializes in the way in which religion and money interface. Uh, He's written the book Divine Currency, The Theological Power of Money in the West. And on this episode, we talk about cryptocurrency. And for those who don't know, cryptocurrencies have been all the rage in recent years. Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Ethereum. These virtual currencies have an interesting dynamic to them that seems to match some aspects of the fanaticism and the faith that comes with kind of new religious movement. Devin and I explore this dynamic, what it looks like and what it could mean for the future of belief and maybe our economic system. And with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Devin Singh. Devin, welcome to Reenchantment. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, um, we met during the Open Div Summit. Uh, we were in one of the uh, breakout rooms together, uh, you, Guy Hayward, and, and myself. And we started uh, chatting about, um, I forget even how we got onto the topic, but it was, uh, we got into cryptocurrency and, and, and trading. And, uh, and you'd mentioned that there were actually some uh, cryptocurrency religious uh, or poss- like pseudo-religious uh, th- things bubbling up in the world. And uh, both Guy and I were just, you know, uh, I think lift our eyebrows because it's uh, it's such a strange notion. Um, but you you would know because you you study religiosity and and the intersection uh, of money and religion. Uh, so I'll give you a moment to introduce yourself and uh, and some of your work. So I currently teach at Dartmouth College in the religion department, and as you noted, my my research is focused mainly on the connections between religion and economics, uh, as well as politics, because as, as we soon discover, when we look into money and economics, politics is always involved as well. And so questions of the state and questions of power are, are pretty relevant as well. But I've looked at uh, how Christian thought in particular has intersected with uh, ideas of money and exchange and debt over the centuries uh, in Western thought and how that's come to shape various assumptions that uh, we have in terms of uh, our ideas of value, our ideas of money, our concerns about wealth, our concerns about economic injustice and exploitation, etc. A variety of different uh, concerns that creep up in, uh, particularly in, uh, well, throughout, throughout, uh, over the course of time, but particularly in um, the modern period. And I'm currently participating in a research project that's uh, been coordinated through the Institute of Buddhist Studies in Berkeley, uh, funded by the Luce Foundation, called the Public Theologies of Technology and Presence. And it's a, a collection of a variety of scholars that are looking at the intersection of technology, questions of religion, and then questions of relationship and community in modern life. And of course, given my work in money and economics, my inroad into this conversation on technology and religion has been through cryptocurrency, digital currencies, etc. 
So that's uh, partly how I got started down uh, down this road of looking at cryptocurrencies in particular, but I'm trying to bring these broader questions of meaning making, of uh, life and modernity and of ethics uh, to bear on, on this uh, pretty interesting topic. Yeah. And for those who aren't quite familiar or maybe only know a little bit about uh, cryptocurrencies, um, what are they? Uh, how do they work? Yeah, I mean, most people probably have heard about them by now, but given all the buzz and uh, the talk on the news in terms of the, their increasing value, uh, the idea of cryptocurrencies, well, digital currency ideas have been around at least since the 90s, um, and, and even some um, games like World of Warcraft and Second Life had the idea of digital currencies earlier, um, but Cryptocurrencies really emerged after a paper published in 2008 by uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, who is either a person or an anonymous collective. Nobody knows. Uh, but it was right after the, the financial crisis and crash on Wall Street. But it was a vision for a kind of currency that was grounded in something called blockchain technology, which I'll explain about in a second. But the vision was for a type of currency that was not dependent on central banks or nations and their, their, their governance by fiat and state power, and really a way to rely on the, uh, the code and the network of computers to authenticate and provide a guarantee of these transactions. So current national currencies and, and fiat currencies are really grounded in law and in the decree of any sort of sovereign sovereign state to say this is our currency this is legal this is what you must accept and mm -hmm. so those that are that are proponents of cryptocurrencies such as uh, bitcoin uh, want to find a different uh, a different route toward organizing our economic relationships and we can get into that later i think it's really interesting in terms of trying to escape um, state oversight and state sovereignty uh, but in short blockchain technology which they're based on is a, is a broader kind of technology it doesn't just apply to cryptocurrencies it can be used for a variety of different transactions but basically it's a way to store information and transfer information in a way that's visible to and authenticated by a diffuse network of computers so rather than having things contained in one database and controlled by one central um, you know group there are what are called nodes, which are just collections of, of computers across a, diff a diffuse network that all kind of bear witness to the authenticity of the information and the transactions and provide a, a, you know, a timestamp and other forms of authentication. And so it's a way to kind of guarantee that the information is accurate and that its transition and the way that it changes hands is accurate, uh, again, based on this, this network of witnesses. And so it, it's a way to try to diffuse authority and diffuse uh, power across a, um, at least what is hoped to be a, a more kind of democratic or consensus-based uh, approach to, uh, to coding and to information transfers. Now, in terms of uh, where the value of these coins actually lies, uh, I mean, it seems like they're, you know, on the one hand, they're great because they're uh, there's no nation that controls them, as you're saying. It's it's free, uh, more or less, from a centralized authority, uh, and yet uh, it's it's just it's it's data, it's information, and uh, you know part of it part of the uh, the trickiness with these currencies is that they're incredibly volatile. Uh, it seems like you know Bitcoin has value because people believe in it and and evangelize it, and and uh, the more people believe in it and, and buy it up, the more value it has, which I guess is you know. The, principle of, of the stock market in general, but 
with a, a stock at least, you know, it's it's tethered to usually some company, some fundamental thing that's producing stuff. Um, but with the, the coins, I mean, where is the value? It's a great question and it raises the, it forces us to ask, you know, more broadly about money and where the value lies in money in general. Um, you know, the story goes that for centuries money was grounded in uh, the gold standard. That's actually a debatable history and there's reasons to doubt that. <clears throat> but hmm. at least we know that in the modern period that that's no longer the case and uh, money is, is um, grounded basically in what's called state fiat, the, uh, the power and the sovereignty of the state to say this is the money that you will use in our territory. Um, and, and also, so, this is the price of the money. And, well, the price the price is is determined by based on market principles. And then, since the 1970s, when the dollar um, was no longer pegged to the gold standard, um, the price of currencies or their value is determined based on other currencies. And so, there is a international currency market that that determines the value of those things. But but there's similarly, I mean, you know, the question you asked about cryptocurrency. In some ways, you know, p- people might recognize that. The, the bills they use and the, di- the digital money they use uh, when they're transferring money to, to banks or friends also in some sense doesn't really have a backing. I mean, it's grounded ultimately in our belief and our, our decision to accept it um, with the caveat that, that at some point there is kind of a state somewhere to back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you raise a number of interesting points. I mean, this is what still is debated about cryptocurrencies. Do they, should they be thought of as money or should they be thought of as a kind of uh, tech, uh, digital barter system where, where there's a kind of a commodity in this case, the, the token uh, um, that, has been, that has been mined and we can talk about the mining process as well, but it, it's now traded in this digital market like a, like a commodity. And I think there's interesting analogies to think about this kind of like a frontier type scenario back back with trading pelts in the uh the the new world where the you know these these were a kind of currency but they were also a commodity that was valued uh so some people have have tried have written off cryptocurrency as not really money and more like a bartering system a new digital bartering system and i think there's uh an argument to to be made for that as well Uh, but but again the question about where the value comes from uh is is still open to debate and this is why i find money is such a fascinating topic because people can't actually agree on what exactly it is and how it works, even though it clearly seems to work, uh, in some ways for us. Yeah. And there's this, uh, I think before really getting into, um, the cryptocurrency, uh, or blockchain religions, uh, I think it, it may be worth talking about the desire or the hope to get away from centralized authority. Um, uh, because I guess that in a sense is part of what, uh, uh, what makes the kind of religious, uh, uh, aspects of it, you know, maybe more appealing, uh, getting away from a centralized uh, authority and making, uh, making things more democratic, uh, and, and decentralized. Uh, how, how successful has that been so far? And I guess, um, yeah, if you could uh, talk a little bit about that aspect of it. It's it's definitely a utopian vision for the cryptocurrency communities and, and what are called um, cryptocurrency maximalists or Bitcoin maximalists, those that want to see this vision of uh, the Bitcoin currency or cryptocurrency kind of displace and take over modern uh, or um, fiat uh, state currencies. And this is the idea that, again, these should be the primary currencies. And so it's, 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 
a there's an egalitarian and democratic vision, but it raises questions about who actually has access to the technology. Can everyone really have access to it? There's a tremendous sort of resource footprint and energy footprint that's required to mine uh, Bitcoin and to authenticate transactions. Um, and, you know, there's and, even, and, even, and mining Bitcoin real, really quickly. What does that actually entail? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good question. It's solving complex algorithms and mathematical formulas that you need, uh, computers to basically to number crunch for you. Um, and, uh, through hours of solving computational problems, you are rewarded with, um, with a coin. And so we have these server farms that are, that have been set up around the world in different places. Um, you know, China is often criticized as, as a site of a number of these, but they're, they're really, you know, they're global, but some of their energy footprints rival, um, small countries, uh, in terms wow. of these server farms. And so these are servers, these are computers that are working 24 seven to crunch numbers and solve equations that the, the, the code there then rewards um, the number cruncher with a coin or with a, with a portion of the coin. So it's interesting because there's a kind of labor involved, right? Um, although in this case, it's, it's outsourced labor on the backs of computers. Uh, there, and there's, you know, interesting questions about kind of the, you know, thinking about the future in terms of uh, making robots and technology do our, do our work and our labor for us. But in this case, it's, there's energy consumed and one needs to have money and resources to sustain this. So this is not this, really this kind of radically egalitarian open access thing. Once Bitcoin are sort of in the network, sure, anybody can get like a Coinbase app on their phone and, and purchase into Bitcoin, like a portion of it. Um, but there's still reason to critique uh, these issues of access, for instance. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly those that have, you know, that understand the code and the technology are always going to have a leg up and a step up to kind of regular everyday folk in terms of their understanding of the system and uh, being able to being able to, to use it and exploit it to their ends. Um, so and, and and to this point, at least cryptocurrencies and these networks are arguably parasitic on national currencies and networks. So uh, it's not clear how they would function without nations that had laws that oversaw energy grids that permitted computer networks that had the fiber and the infrastructure to connect these these computers right all this kind of infrastructure that's like a real material kind of infrastructure that's undergirded by countries nations laws um not to mention the service economy and and workers that are that are working to sustain all this right and so there's a kind of dangerous like a post-material utopianism where folks kind of imagine just like, oh, the cloud, the cloud is out there and we're sort of doing all this awesome stuff on the cloud. But the cloud is still, you know, it has material links to real computers in real space and time um, with real histories there in terms of how they got there, who's, who's sustaining them, who's enabling them, right? So we're not transported out of reality yet to something that's like magically egalitarian. Right. And it's that utopian future, uh, or at least, you know, uh, these visions of, of, of vastly different futures is something that I think, um, really undergirds a lot of, um, a lot of hopes and a lot of fears, uh, right now. 
you know, I think uh, another area where uh, this is this is very apparent is uh, the realm of AI. And um, the, I, I think there was uh, talking about intersections with religiosity. I mean, the um, you know, the kind of AI church uh, that was founded by uh, uh, Anthony, uh, what is it, uh, Lewandowski, uh, the, the Way of the Future Church, uh, where basically it's, you know, it was aimed to kind of kind of realize and accept this 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 yet to yet to be created um, super intelligent AI as as a god or you know uh, you know that's the short version of it um, I think it's uh, since since folded but um, there's there's a lot of a lot of hope and a lot of uh, fear in in new technologies and I think I heard someone say that, you know, in, in every new technology, we, we see both angels and demons, uh, both salvation and damnation. Uh, and the truth of it, you know, m- maybe maybe somewhere in the middle, but it's it's not exactly clear where <laughs> where in the middle between those two extremes it lies. Absolutely. Yeah. Your comments make me think of Ray Kurzweil, who's most known for some of his his predictions. He has a couple books. One is called The Age of Spiritual Machines. Um, but his predictions about the the coming singularity, when you know, as you note, sort of um, artificial intelligence will su- su- surpass human intelligence. But he and others have these utopian visions of being able to upload our consciousness to the cloud of kind of you know these post-human futures where we will be sustained. Um, our neurocortex co- cortex will be connected to the cloud, and it's going to expand our thinking and possibly even allow our consciousness to live on in some way after our body dies. Um, but, but yeah, bringing it back to cryptocurrencies and you had alluded to this earlier, um, Matt Liston was a, or is a kind of a, a crypto evangelist who in 2018 proclaimed he was starting this new religion, um, zero times Omega or zero X Omega, depending on how you pronounce it. But, but the ideal was that using blockchain as a kind of diffuse, open source um, technology that basically adherents will create their own religious beliefs. It'll be a crowdsourced doctrinal system without any centralized authority, but through the kind of power and magic of crowdsourcing and transparent technology will somehow evolve toward the ideal form of religion. Um, I haven't heard much since 2018 about this, so it might have also petered out. Uh, and in some ways, you know, it was very just kind of sketchy in terms of these these ideas, um, very idealistic and, and in some ways very simplistic that somehow spontaneously, because we have this open source transparent technology like blockchain, that we're going to arrive at the ideal form of, of, of religion as a result. Um, but it's certainly interesting and it, and it captures a lot of what you're saying about how technology um you know, it taps into this yearning, right, for, you know, it can be put in a lot of ways to, to transcend the, the, the body, to transcend the limitations of life and modernity, um, to transcend problems of, of mortality. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of issues that te- technology gets at that I think are captured in these, in these religious movements. Yeah, I was doing some um, some reading about it, and uh, it's the the zero zero x omega. Um, it, yeah, it's, it seems to to have you know got, garnered a lot of attention early on, but 
Um, they even had, uh, I was reading, they, they had uh, ideas about uh, how pilgrimage uh, would work, where like, you know, uh, an algorithm would take, you know, uh, weather patterns and, and a random number to determine a holy site. Uh, and then those who would journey to the holy site would, would uh, you know, get tokens for that. Um, or they would have uh, uh, this kind of notion of an afterlife where, you know, you, uh, the, an algorithm would, you would give it your Facebook and Google data and you'd get tokens in exchange and then theoretically after you die you this data would somehow be you know you know recreated into um a a a version of you online that people could you know could interact with or could still like exist in in the ether um but it's it's pointing at many of these things that you're you're bringing up about um really a kind of uh, I'd say, you know, a transhumanist um, vision of the future uh, where, uh, and, and I've, I've heard it, you know, the parallels made before between uh, the transhumanist uh, agendas and uh, religious uh, thinking and religious uh, desires for, um, you know, transcending death, uh, it, you know, godlike uh, om- omniscience and, uh, you know, all of these uh old religious ideas being um, smuggled or, or imitated or just, you know, maybe it's just human nature replaying in a new medium, the technological medium. Um, but there are a lot of parallels between religion and transhumanist ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting to see, as you note, the, the ways that modern technologies kind of reduplicate and replicate things that seem, you know, a bit more archaic, but, but try to do it in, in new ways. And, you know, with, with the cryptocurrency, it's, you know, the language of mining, which is really an outdated notion of precious metals, currency being based on precious metals, for instance. Um, but even the idea of, you know, cashless societies and, and not needing cash in some ways is also very ancient. I mean, there's evidence that in the ancient Near East before, long before coinage, that, um, something like money and a mon- an accounting mechanism of money was being used, but it was abstract. It was just based on notions of the grain that was uh, due to the temple palace. Um, and it created these proportions and measurement systems that people could use to, to, to trade. But it wasn't until, you know, in the 500s the, before the common era that, that coinage emerged in, in ancient Greece. And so uh, in some ways, you know, again, more, the more things change, the more things stay, stay the same, but, but in, in these new, these new kind of iterations. Yeah. And I guess um, coming back to some of uh, the work you've already done, um, I think you published a book, uh, divine currency, uh, the theological power of money in the West. Um, I, I think it'd be interesting to, to touch on, on the crossovers between, uh, as you started out earlier saying money and politics and, and religion. Um, because I think, you know, this, this notion of, uh, religiosity and technology and, and, and power mixing together, uh, on the one hand seems maybe strange and even sacrilegious. Uh, but maybe it's, uh, you know, it's some of your work maybe suggests that this has been a part of our religiosity from the beginning or, uh, or at least in, you know, entwined with its history. Uh, so could you speak a little bit about those relationships and how they've played out? Sure. And it's interesting because the, the kind of the, the separation that you just noted in terms of, um, you know, many people having a kind of 
a reaction to thinking about money as associated with religion and, and really wanted to keep those separate. In many ways, at least in the West, that's an inheritance of a certain uh, subset of voices within within Christianity that really sort of tried to create this this distance um, and to create this sort of separation. You know, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve serve God and wealth. It's this really strong dichotomy. But it's those same that same tradition that I go to to show uh, has been linking and connecting money and religion um, for centuries. Uh, but it's also not unique to Christianity. There's you know, certainly evidence in Judaism and other religious traditions of using language and talk about money and exchange to describe spiritual realities, uh, you know, to describe our, our sin and our offenses against God as a kind of debt that needs to be reta- repaid or perhaps can't be repaid. Um, and then the kind of steps that God takes to either cancel that debt to, or to repay it uh, and of course, the the early Christians describing Christ as a kind of currency, a redemptive payment that freed humanity from their their debt of sin. And this is a you know a major metaphor, a major concept at the heart of Christianity, uh, and it lives on in our language of redemption. I mean, Christians today will still speak about being redeemed by Christ and being redeemed by the by the blood of Jesus, but but no one stops to really realize and think, well, this is an economic metaphor that I'm using. You know, what, what does this mean? What does it mean um, that, that this blood has bought me and paid for me, right? And so uh, at the heart, at the central, like these central fundamental ideas in Christian thought are economic. And so I'm trying to shed light on that and say that this might be a reason why we have this really uh, vexed relationship with money in the West, where on one hand, we think it's totally profane and, and it needs to be kept at arm's length. And on the other hand, you know, there, you know, there are religions that make money central and, and, um, and arguably, you know, most people have a kind of, you know, a desire for money, even if they are also, you know, anxious about it in some ways. Uh, and so part of that, part of that anxiety and part of that love hate relationship is inscribed into, uh, in this case, Christianity. And I think one could look at the ways it takes place and, and manifest in other religious traditions as well. So that's part of what I was trying to show in Divine Currency, really starting with this question, you know, why do we have these kind of ambivalences, but also why does money seem to have an almost spiritual power in society? Why do people speak about, you know, oh, so-and-so worships money. Oh, money seems like an idol or a god. You know, where does that language come from? And I, and I go back to some of the early centuries in Christian thought and their use of economic language to describe these these very central ideas in Christianity that then kind of trickle down across the centuries in in very different you know diverse ways but they get used to support ideas of the the power and um, impact that money can have in society and in our lives and examples of Christian emperors who try to model themselves after what God does economically and so it kind of becomes this this, this almost this script and this template for what governments can do and states might do um, to, to try to capture some of the, the spiritual power of money. Yeah. So this notion of uh, cryptocurrencies as uh, as religious currency or, you know, and somehow tied real, with religiosity maybe isn't so crazy uh, uh, after all. Um, I guess, you know, I, I can't help but think of, you know, at least one perspective on what money is is uh, is is a you know form of power or it's a form of resources, um, and uh, I guess there, you know, you you have, um, I guess religiosity is 
uh, and religious institutions. That's how they do their work in the world. Is how you know you're able to amass these these big institutions. Uh, and then, and at the, at the same time, the uh, uh, much of spiritual religious uh, language and 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 thought is typically work focuses on the inner or focuses on uh, you know. I, I guess like, uh, well, teaching the stereotype is that you, you, you don't, you shouldn't need money. Like you're, you should be, uh, wealthy with, with your inner spiritual worth. Um, you know, but even, even there it's, you know, the, the metaphor is right that I'm using is, 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 is worth and value. Um, <laughs> so it's hard to get away from. Yeah. Even the language of having treasure in heaven or seeking treasure in heaven, as opposed to treasure on earth, right? There's these metaphors that are, that are used to motivate, um, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, certainly stereotypically, there's that dichotomy. I think, you know, what I think, you know, many in, in religious traditions would be quick to try to point out that that morality and ethics is is often construed as a social thing as well. Right. It's not simply about the individual's kind of inner inner spiritual quest, but but, uh, you know, the ethical life, the moral life, the spiritual life is also one that's lived in relationships. And it's one that that it has bearing on how you how you interact and care for others, how you seek uh, justice on a, on a broader scale within society, right? Um, you know, these are all kinds of, uh, you know, sp- arguably spiritual values um, as well within, within, within many religious traditions. Uh, but money is, as you know, it's a form of power. It's a, it's, a, it's a coordinating mechanism. It's a way to convey information. It's a, it's a powerful symbol. Uh, and it's been really central to human societies for, you know, at least the last 5,000 years. And so, um, it, it sets itself up as a, sometimes a competing symbolic, uh, network to religion or one that actually is useful for religion to say, well, kind of like money, but a little bit different. Like, well, you're going to use a language of money, but try to use it as a launching pad to say that we're going to pursue something alternative to a higher than, but it always becomes this kind of, um, you know, a, a framework either to use or to reject, but it's, but even by rejecting it, it's still incorporated into the background assumptions of these religious traditions. So money has just been such a powerful shaping tool for, um, for societies in terms of arranging how people relate and the kind of labor people carry out, but also for our imaginations, you know, to use, like you said, language of worth, language of value, quantification. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's just so much that it contributes in these really profound ways that it's, it's once it, once you look at that, it's unsurprising that religion has, has relied on it um, so much as a kind of metaphor and as a, as a set of concepts to structure its thought. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't, I can't help but um, uh, mention as well that uh, there's, there's also been some kind of a tongue in cheek, uh, you know, spins on, on, on this. Uh, I believe there was a Jesus coin, uh, that was started, uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, it was, it was apparently a satirical, you know, attempt to decentralize Jesus. Uh, and like that, that's all the, it was all couched in that language. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, uh, people actually started buying it and, uh, it is now worth like, you know, a a sizable chunk of money. Um, yeah. and, and then, you know, t- all the, all the talk about, uh, what is it? The, 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 the dog coin, the doge, doge coin. Doge, doge um, coin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which was also started as, as a satire, but, um, you know, has, yeah, is, is, is now worth millions and millions of dollars. 
Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like, um, it's, it's a kind of truth telling, right? Like even, even in, in, you know, joking about, uh, like a Jesus coin or even in joking about, uh, the, uh, like, I don't know, the creating a, a Bitcoin, uh, religion, uh, or even if it's not fully serious, it's, it's also pointing towards, towards a deeper seriousness, um, that, that is hard to get away from. Yeah. I mean, your comments make me think about the, you know, the use of, of humor, satire, mockery, even in religious traditions. I mean, notions of like the trickster and tricksterism in religious traditions, this, the, the, the history of carnival and the kinds of satirical reversals that we see in, in religiously inspired um, festivals, you know, with things like the jester or the, 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 the king or the typical ruler being mocked and paraded through the town for a day as a way for the people to sort of, um, you know, what can vent their frustrations at, at sovereign power in the, in these moments of reversal. So there's these interesting, you know, parallel or not parallels, but at least other examples of the importance of, of humor and mockery and satire for the social order and, and the needs we have, um, for, arguably for at least maintaining stability or for, or for dealing with conflict. Um, but also, as you say, kind of calling the, uh, bringing the absurdity of our, of our social realities to light, but then kind of nevertheless recommitting to them, right? It's kind of like we need to step back and say, you know, it's really weird that we do the things we do and that we've come to assume these are necessary for society. Um, but, but nevertheless, let's do them. Right. And you know, there, are, there are a variety of kinds of, you know, if you think about like in the history of religion, you know, one that comes to mind is the scapegoat ritual that, um, you know, emerges in the Hebrew tradition and, and also is, is taken up in Christianity. But the idea that we can find a, like a perfect animal that we're going to put all of the evil and sin from our community on that animal and then either kill it or drive it out into the wilderness. And now our, our community is purified because we've done that. Um, you know, from a certain perspective, that's, that's just silly and that's absurd, um, you know, not to, not to offend or make, you know, make fun of that tradition for those that hold that seriously. But, you know, from a certain perspective, there, there's a kind of absurdity to that while within the tradition, like that ritual means a heck of a lot, like that's profound, right? And it, it does, it does a lot to hold those religious communities together. Um, and then arguably like with Christianity, that idea was taken up profoundly, like as the idea of Christ as the sinless sacrifice that takes all the sin of humanity, which again, you know, in some ways is an absurd kind of transfer. It's an absurd economy, but that has been projected in this universal way in Christian societies and people kind of operate with that assumption that it's, it makes sense. And so there's something about, I think, you know, these instances of the Jesus coin as, as mocking these kinds of things and saying, this is absurd, but it's also come to kind of become our social fabric and let's double down on it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when, when, that, when the Jesus coin was promoted, right, it was, you know, promising things like forgiveness of sins, you know, kind of like pulling on this old indulgences notion from church history, um, record transaction sp speeds between you and God. Um, <laughs> and then also things like, you know, if, uh, predicted 50 billion billion market cap and things like that so this kind of tongue-in-cheek humor but also as you said like people people invested people people went into it as well i mean there's also a christ coin which which was kind of like the serious counterpart to the jesus coin and this was to reward people for like studying the bible and doing other kinds of virtuous activities you could kind of earn earn credits toward toward christ coins and so that's kind of like the serious the serious sibling version of the uh, satirical Jesus coin. 
Yeah, oh, that's fascinating. Um, well, uh, Devin, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk about uh, this strange new world uh, and maybe strange old world. Um, yeah, thanks so much for, for speaking with me. Thanks so much. It's been great to be here. Thank you for listening to Reenchantment. If you like this episode, please share it online or with a friend. It really does help the show grow. Again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Reenchantment. <laughs>